Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please take a moment to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you tune in. It really helps more folks find us and helps us to continue to get this message out there. Also, don't forget to check out occultlondon.co.uk to subscribe. And if you're feeling extra supportive, consider backing us on Patreon or you can find us on Buy Me A Coffee. Every little bit goes a long way in keeping this show alive. Also, a massive thanks to all of you who have already uh, donated to help support the podcast. It's massively appreciated and really helps us to continue with this work. Now let's dive into today's episode. In today's episode we are going to be talking about something that we haven't really mentioned much before and that is what is known as the preparation of self. This is something that's really important in the practice of ceremonial magic and spiritual work in general. And although there's a lot of different opinions and information written about this, um, and also about the kind of importance of, you know, fancy robes, expensive ritual equipment, uh, expensive temples and furniture and all of that, um, there's not actually that much stuff that's actually written about the preparation of the self um, before you actually go into the into the other stuff. So I wanted to kind of do an episode on that just to kind of talk through a little bit, a little bit more about it in terms of some of the key things that you can kind of think about. When we think about the idea of the preparation of the self, we should first revisit some of the ideas of the magical universe and particularly the idea of the macrocosm and the microcosm as the hermetic axiom from the emerald tablet of Trismegistus goes. That which is below corresponds to that which is above and that which is above corresponds to that which is below to accomplish the miracles of the one thing. Or in simplified terms, it's what people describe as being as above, so below, as within, so without. As magicians, we operate on multiple levels of reality. We're obviously based in the physical universe. However, we're also operating between the planes. When we do magic, both the higher realms and the lower realms are connecting. And this is where the magician almost acts like a psychopomp in the sense that we are moving between the two realms all of the time. We are performing ritual or any kind of spiritual work, meditation as well, in the physical realm. But we're also working with or perceiving the spiritual realm, be it through scrying, travel in the spirit vision, astral projection, or even divination, which is obviously still connecting up with those spiritual forces to kind of influence the cards and give us an answer about something we're not sure about. For all of this work that is required 
it's important that we have a very strong sense of self and also grounding and it's for this reason it is important that we're able to operate it fully in each realm without hindrance and it's for this reason that the witch or the magician should really try to leave as much of their worldly personality outside of the circle when he or she enters it to attain or to practice magic. To attain a magical personality, as it's known in some particular circles, that will then enable him or her to travel between the planes and operate fully without bringing the baggage of the outside world into the sacred space. Everything that we experience in ritual or in any kind of spiritual work, it must be remembered, is filtered through the lens of our personal perception and also our physical body. Therefore, preparing the physical self becomes just as important, if not more important, than having a temple, having ritual implements that you spent hours creating, and everything else. Really, the body and the mind should be the kind of paramount point, because that really is your temple. And the preparation and purification of the self has a very long tradition that's not always emphasised enough in the modern days. However, if we look at like some of the grimoires, particularly like the Key of Solomon, for example, we see the following advice. Before commencing operations, both the master and his disciples must abstain with great and thorough continence during the space of nine days from sensual pleasures and from vain and foolish conversation. That's the key of Solomon. Also, we have, from the first day of the experiment, it is absolutely necessary to ordain and to prescribe care and observation, to abstain from all things unlawful and from every kind of impiety, impurity, wickedness or immodesty as well of body as of soul, as for example eating and drinking superabundantly and all sorts of vain worlds, buffooneries, slanders, calumnies and other useless discourse, but instead to do good deeds, speak honestly, keep a strict decency in all things, never lose sight of modesty in walking, in conversations, in eating and drinking, and in all things, the witch should be observed for nine days before the commencement of the operation. The Key of Solomon also writes, He who wishes to apply himself unto so great and so difficult a science should have his mind free from all business and from all extraneous ideas of whatever nature they may be. Those are some quotes from the Kim Solomon. But as you can see, the, the language is very um, much to, to, towards obviously kind of ab this abstinence and purity, but it also it talks about even like mental purity from the point of view of, you know, not even having, um, not even having kind of silly conversations or anything that takes your mind away from the upcoming magical 
operation and if you think about that from today's perspective where people are constantly on you know social media and you know TikTok and watching videos constantly um, obviously it's quite very different time now to when the when the key of Solomon was written but as we can see from these quotes the preparation for ritual is not just about putting on a robe and going into the temple it is a state of mind that begins the very first day that one steps onto the path of the mysteries and utters the phrase of the initiate I desire to know in order to serve this is also reflected in the key of Solomon which as well as featuring lengthy discussions on abstinence and vegetarianism also demands that the practitioner should pray multiple times a day for example it writes hereafter for three days at least thou shalt abstain from all idle vain and impure reasonings and from every kind of impurity and sin each day thou shalt recite the following prayer at least once in the morning twice about noon thrice in the afternoon four times in the evening and five times before lying down to sleep this shall shalt do on the three ensuing days and this idea of praying multiple times a day as well as the cleanliness and diet also shows us that there's different levels to the preparation of self from an inner or a spiritual perspective when one begins their magical training we learn how to relax we usually focus on breathing exercises or energy exercises like the middle pillar or it could be that you work with chakras as well you also learn things like how to visualize and then how to focus an intention of a ritual and concentrate for long periods of time so this is all kind of goes into this element of the preparation of the inner self on the outer self one prepares the self through you know the study of um, you know magic could be the study of the Kabbalah um, which you know can be quite a, an academic subject or it could be you're studying mythology or another magical system and also different tables of correspondences and symbols that slowly begin to kind of seep into your being and may eventually lead to you um, establishing like an inner plane contact potentially or contact with the spiritual world an important thing at the beginning is to have a positive frame of mind and not go too deep into the kind of inner dialogue which is something that Carlos Castaneda talks about which kind of drags you into this right brain thinking and this is what this was described by Carlos Castaneda in the teachings of John Juan as follows you talk to yourself too much you're not unique in that every one of us does we maintain our world with our inner dialogue a man or woman of knowledge is aware that the world will completely change as soon as they stop talking to themselves and it's all about silencing that inner dialogue that's part of this process of the inner development inner preparation of self the inner dialogue is that niggly voice that you hear in your mind all the time knocking at your brain with a hammer 
and it's really developed from self-criticism where it kind of takes a lot of information from your fears, your frustrations, your judgments, projections, you know, anger, rage, or kind of any really a negative emotion. And the inner dialogue is also quite good from the point of view that it's there to protect us. However, it can also be quite limiting if we listen to it all the time, as it will often tell you that you're not good enough to do something or it will make you afraid of something that's coming up um, for no valid reason, because there's no evidence that you need to be afraid of it, but uh, your inner dialogue will kind of start to force you into that mindset. Also, it will say you don't deserve things, or you shouldn't be in this particular position. It could be like a job, for example, or things like that. And a good trick to get over this, obviously, is through meditation. It's through observing the thoughts and letting them pass, or also journaling and writing them down. And you find that the more you become aware of the inner dialogue in your head, the less influence it will have over you. As Sri Nasagardata wrote, Love tells me I'm everything. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Between the two, my life flows. I think part of the journey of spiritual development is not only attempting to become aware of these experiences within yourself, but also we should try to attempt to come to a level of acceptance of them as well. And even learn to kind of love and trust all the different elements of ourselves and through this acceptance I think we can also begin to get rid of some of the limiting factors and beliefs that and truly unleash the power of our will and our imagination as Anna Franklin wrote magic begins in the mind and the imagination of the magician is the only limiting factor of the magic human will projected by one who has learnt to wield it potentially has the power of a god. That's a quote by Anna Franklin. The mental state and frame of mind of you as an individual, or also each individual involved in a potentially group ritual, is also really important, as one of the things that each person involved in a ritual particularly group work as well is actually to kind of you you merging with the group mind and this is something that tends to happen automatically the groups that have been active and working together for a long time however it can be quite difficult with different personalities at the beginning and any member who is not in the right mental frame of mind can obviously upset that group mind or that egregore from that point of view and potentially ultimately the intention of the ritual itself. This is not to say that everyone who joins you know magical groups etc needs to be some kind of high up adept able to concentrate for hours at a time. Usually a lot of these groups will tend to have you know, some core members who will be highly trained and able to keep the concentration going and and then new people would come in and often be exposed to that power at that point and 
assimilated into that group mind and often often you'll find that beginners will often have some pretty fantastic experiences when they first begin because they kind of get elevated up by this this effect of the the group mind that's been working together for quite a while also some people just don't fit with groups and they'll also just leave of their own accord and this is also why a lot of groups tend to be quite selective in terms of who they allow into their particular magical group because the the, the wrong person can often upset the upset the balance from that point of view but as I was mentioning going back to the preparation of self before you do kind of any any of this sort of spiritual work or, or magical work you know members of a group should prepare themselves for ritual by you know trying to remove all the everyday thoughts the negativity and problems from their mind and making themselves as pure as possible and this can be quite difficult to do and this is one of the reasons why robes are often used in ceremony because the black hooded robe will not only just shield the wearer from recognition although everyone will probably know who they are anyway if it's a small group but also acts as a mean of a means of shedding the outer world or your kind of malcoot personality you're shedding it and leaving all your worries behind so it's a very powerful symbolic action that happens the practice of going sky clad is also similar in this respect where we symbolically leave all of the baggage of the outer world at the door so that we are pure in the temple of the mysteries during the rites as well as symbolically shedding the world any issues that people might have before group group work certainly should also be kind of got rid of before you go in and you know good ways of clearing your mind particularly if you've had like a bad day and then you've got to go off to a group or something a good way of <clears throat> clearing your mind is to go go for a nice walk in nature because you tend to find that the the feeling of being in nature in the trees the fresh air the sound of the birds don't listen to music don't listen to podcasts anything like that just try to be really still in nature and you'll find that really will start to help clear your mind and clear away a lot of your kind of worries and there's an idea that I come to sometimes think about as well from that point of view if we think about time as being almost a, a, a human construct past present and future as one if that is the case then any ritual or any meditation or spiritual work that we are going to do has already been done by us already and this is quite an interesting idea because you often find in the build-up to rituals or or even some sort of meditations as well there's quite a lot of psychic tension in the air and kind of electricity you often see sort of synchronicities as well which makes me think you know when writing a ritual or something like that you've already actually kind of gone through it several times and it's starting to uh, 
you're actually performing it when you actually do the ritual in practice you're actually um, kind of enacting something that's already happened almost in on, on other levels in terms of meditation to prepare the self one should also consider the ritual that is going to be formed and also kind of focus the mind on it and read through it several times particularly with group work to ensure you have the flow of it you should also ideally try to energetically cleanse your aura um, before any kind of spiritual work if you can using a technique that you prefer this makes a big difference so a good technique that i like to use which i've mentioned before is the middle pillar exercise which we discussed in a previous episode this is essentially an exercise based on the Kabbalistic tree of life whereby one will cleanse one's entire aura with pure spiritual light from Keta or the crown and it does an amazing job of filling you with energy but it will also bring energy into the surrounding room that you're working in. And you can also incorporate um, various different prayers into preparation for kind of spiritual or magical work as well so an example in this regard is the Kabbalist's prayer by Eliphas Levi from his book the Sanctum Regnum which I wanted to read out this is something that I've used quite quite a lot in the past this is the Kabbalistic prayer by Eliphas Levi be favourable to me, O ye powers of the kingdom divine. May glory and eternity be in my left and right hands, so that I may attain to victory. May pity and justice restore my soul to its original purity. May understanding and wisdom divine conduct me to the imperishable crown. Spirit of Malkut, Thou who hast laboured and hast overcome, set me in the path of good. Lead me to the two pillars of the temple, to Yakin and Boaz, that I may rest upon them. Angels of Netzach and Hod, make ye my feet to stand firmly on Yesod. Angel of Gebdula, console me. Angel of Gebdula, strike if it must be so, but make me stronger so that I may become worthy of the influence of Tiferets. O angel of Bina, give me light. O angel of Chokhmah, give me love. O angel of Keter, confer upon me faith and hope. Spirits of the Yetzeratic world, withdraw me from the darkness of Isaiah. O luminous triangle of the world of Bria, Cause me to see and understand the mysteries of Yetzirah and Atzaluth. O holy letters Shin, O ye Ishim, assist me by the name Shaddai, O ye Cherubim, give me strength through Adonai. O Beni Elohim, be brothers unto me in the name of Zabayot. O Elohim, fight for me by the holy Tetragrammaton. O Malachim, protect me through Yehovah. O Seraphim, give me holy love in the name Eloah. O Chashmalim, enlighten me by the tortures of Eloah and the Shekinah. 
And that's a poem by Eliphas Levi, uh, well, it's a prayer rather, um, <clears throat> which is mentioned in his Sanctum Regnum. And as you can see from that poem that we just went through, it, it basically goes through all of the different um, spheres of the Tree of Life, starting in Malkut and then going right up to Keta. Then it also invokes the four different worlds of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, and then it also invokes the the different angelic um, orders as well. So it's this idea of like surrounding yourself with all these sacred um, and holy names and sacred energies, and it's charging up your aura to make you make you um, elevated, higher vibration, which is going to make a lot of the magical work that we do uh, much much easier. From a physical perspective, it's a good idea to fast, or often, you know, people do fast before magical rituals if you can. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean to be for days and days, but um, it can make quite a lot of difference. Um, definitely, if you avoid meat and dairy for at least 24 hours, um, that that will make quite a lot of difference. And Although it's not very popular and you know a lot of magicians don't bother doing it um, personally in my experience I've seen it it does have a huge huge difference in terms of how you can kind of connect with the spirits um, and just kind of you become on a much higher vibration from that point of view being able to tune in much higher concentration um, but if you are interested in that you know definitely um, worth trying um, a lot of the old grimoires will go heavily into talking about fasting before rituals as it does cleanse the body and the soul and it does get the mind really really sharp as well things like food and sex um, you know can they bring you down they can make you quite grounded um, onto the earth so um, if you can avoid those um, you know just before the ritual it's a good idea um, and then obviously afterwards you can have a feast and a party and do whatever you want. Um, but um, it just does make a bit of a difference from that point of view. Um, it's important to note though, obviously with you know regards to things like abstinence and things like that, um, we're not suggesting that the physical body is evil or... It's, but basically the practice of self-denial is it's being practiced in this sense specifically to heighten the ritual experience and to connect you with the inner realms. Um, so yeah, not recommending, obviously if you've got any kind of diet problems or anything like that, um, you know, definitely speak to your physician. I'm not providing any kind of medical advice from that point of view. Um, but yeah it can do and ritual fasting is actually something that's been done by many different religious groups throughout the world um, as well as being a method of mind alteration and you know it's been part of occult and mystical practices from well before recorded history so you get things like the Siberian shamans practiced it as well as the priests of the Merkava um, who are Kabbalistic mystics and also obviously in the in the classical grimoires as well we also see it in um, various different religious contexts obviously we've got ramadan 
Um, we have Yom Kippur as well, and then obviously in Hindus they also um, fast as part of certain festivals, and even in the Christian tradition you have uh, Lent, where people are meant to kind of give up something and, and fast for the, this kind of spiritual experience. So it's been a massive part of this culture for a long time. As with the preparation of the self through prayers um, and abstinence from the pleasures of the world, we also find fasting in the Key of Solomon when it says the following. During the three days before the commencement of this action, thou shalt content thyself with following the fasting diet, and that only once in the day, and it will be better still if thou only partakest of bread and water. In the pagan community, fasting is often seen as a way of getting closer to the vine, to cleanse the body and also prepare ourselves physically and spiritually for, for kind of ritual or ceremonial work later on. And the idea of this is being that through, through abstaining from physical pleasure and needs, we are we're essentially turning our focus inwards to the needs of the spiritual body in order to attain a deeper connection to divinity. And there's different types of fasting involved. For example, in some cases, people may abstain from food but not drink. In other cases, people... Um, might only eat during certain hours of the day or they may only eat like a vegetarian diet for example in the book of Abramelin the mage we see it writes you shall eat during this whole period neither the flesh nor the blood of any dead animal and this you shall do for a particular reason um, there is new, new, numerous benefits to fasting um, which may be why it's recommended as being a kind of cleansing process to prepare oneself for ritual. Um, this is something that's described by Aaron, Aaron Leach in his excellent book, Secrets of the Magical Grimoires, as follows. The benefits of fasting are many and it affects the whole body. When the body stops receiving a steady flow of food, it begins to turn towards its own reserves of fat. As it breaks down these cells, it also mobilizes and eliminates toxins stored within the body. It combats inflammations such as arthritis, quiets allergic reactions, reduces various fluid accumulations such as edema in the ankles and legs or swelling of the abdomen, corrects high blood pressure and it can even clear up the skin and make food taste better. Thus it serves as a perfect form of purification, not to mention weight loss and a general increase in health. Along with this, fasting allows the digestive system to take a rest so that digestion and elimination of toxins later on become much easier. There is even evidence that undergoing a regime of fasting will aid one in breaking down bad habits and addictions, even drug addictions. Of course, before attempting to undergo such a process, even for the use of magic, one should consider one's personal health situation and even consult a physician if necessary. <clears throat> so as he says, not recommending that everyone goes out there and starts fasting, um, but I'm just saying from personal experience, it, it can sometimes help with these things um, to get your kind of mind clear. 
From a personal point of view, I've found that when one fasts and particularly when you abstain from alcohol, even after a couple of days, you attain a level of mental clarity that is really quite awesome. Um, you feel really calm and it's extremely easy to focus your mind. And some of my best and most awesome magical experiences have been after a few days fasting, either with little or no food, also no sleep, which I've experimented with. And I'm, as I said before, I'm not I'm not encouraging anybody to um, to do to you know do the do fasting or sleep deprivation. I'm just suggesting from a personal experience. It's also very important to note that if you are fasting, it's recommended that you you know stay hydrated with water um and you know as i said before definitely don't do this if you've got any kind of health issues that could be impacted with it as well so we've covered getting our mind right for spiritual work or ritual as well as some of the aspects of fasting and diet but one other element i wanted to touch on briefly is the use of ritual baths to you know, cleanse oneself and also prepare oneself for magical work. And these are really, really big kind of thing that will really help with with your work in terms of you know if you do it regularly, it really kind of starts to make a difference. Ritual baths can be a great way to not only cleanse the body. Obviously, we all enjoy a nice hot bath, but also to cleanse your mind and the soul. And they're also a great way to meditate and reflect on the things that you wish to wash away in preparation for a rite. Whether that is worries from your day to day, you know, bad habits, negative feelings, or anything else. And these are these have been used in many different cultures as a way of pure ritual purification, as the Key of Solomon tells us. The bath is necessary for all magical and necromantic arts. Wherefore, if thou wishest to perform any experiment or operation, having arranged all things necessary thereunto according to the proper days and hours, thou shalt go unto a river or running stream, or thou shalt have warm water ready in some large vessel or tub in thy secret cabinet, and while disrobing thyself of thy raiment, thou shalt repeat the following psalms and then it goes on to list some of the psalms which are usually uh, psalm 14 53 27 uh, 54 69 81 or 105 those are kind of the most common ones as you can see it mentions there's multiple options there um, so you can go to a river or running stream or you can have a nice hot bath in your house i know which one i would prefer um particularly if it was in the middle of winter so ritual baths also hold a significant place in various cultures around the world so in japan for example they have like the traditional onsen or hot spring baths which were not just for cleansing the body but also for spiritual purification and also in Japan, um, in some of the Buddhist temples, they'd also include a ritual basin full of water, which is called a sukuabi, which is used for the purification of the hands and the face. Um, and maybe also why the Catholics also have the, you know, the holy water that you would use when you go into the church as well. 
Also in Hinduism, we have you know ritual bathing in the sacred rivers, um, and also in the Jewish tradition, they have uh, the practice of mikvah, which involves being immersed in a pool of natural water, which symbolizes a range of different meanings. Um, as one rabbi described it as being the ritual bath, the mikvah is an ancient Jewish tradition relating to the concept of tahara, ritual purity, and tuma, ritual impurity. We also see it in Islam as well. They have a gusul, um, which is an ablution, essentially, where they will kind of emphasize cleanliness and spiritual purity. And also in Christianity, we have there's a practice known as ablution, which is still a word that people use to describe themselves washing. They say, I'm going to do my ablutions. Um, but this basically refers to the idea of washing oneself, often in a ritualistic or a symbolic manner. And it's rooted in ancient traditions and is mentioned in you know various forms in the Bible. So, for example, we have Exodus 30, 17 to 21, which goes... Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also when they approach the altar to minister, by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet, so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. We also have Psalm 51.7, which is often used in quite a lot of these old um, grimoires, which goes, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And that's one of the the one of the um, prayers that's often used in some of these kind of preparatory work that people do to prepare themselves to elevate their vibration to connect with the spirit world. The practice of ablution, you know, really symbolizes purification repentance and readiness to approach the sacred and in the christian denominations you know there's way there's many different ways or they do it um ablution is is normally a preparatory act before the before you would t take the eucharist or holy communion where the celebrant usually the priest um washes their hands as a symbol of spiritual cleanliness and in a broader sense, the act of baptism is also quite similar, which is obviously crucial to the sacrament of Christianity, which can be seen as kind of a form of ablution where you're, you're dipped into the water to signify the washing away of the sins and the rebirth of the individual into this new life of Christ. So very similar to a pagan um, initiation from that point of view of its idea of being washed or purified with holy water, um, and then you are made anew. So how do we do this from a magical perspective? Um, so well, well, from that aspect, you know, we can obviously create a ritual cleansing bath, which is a really good way to do it. Um, you know, burn some candles, play some nice meditative music, and you can also add purification herbs 
to the water. Hyssop, which is the one that I mentioned from Psalm 51.7, is particularly good for this because it's kind of a very cleansing action. The best way to do this is to tie the herbs in a muslin cloth or a little bag and then hang it over the tap so that the water basically runs through the herbs and into the tub. Otherwise, you can just have this horrific situation where you're almost like having a bath in a cup of loose loose leaf tea um, and it's all going to get clogged up in your pipes and everything so I wouldn't recommend that just keep it in a little bag um, there's excellent techniques that are recommended by Josephine McCarthy in her book The Exorcist Handbook that I've used many times so I'd highly recommend checking that out if that um, is interesting um, particularly her technique of um, the cleansing bath To finish the episode, um, I'll just say, you know, all these things can obviously help when you are preparing for uh, some spiritual work or a ritual, uh, either individually or as a group. And, you know, whilst kind of all, while the stuff around fasting and vegetarianism, etc., is, you know, as I said before, it's completely personal choice. Um, as a minimum, um, I would recommend, you know, particularly if you're in a group, um, it's a good idea to do some preparation physically and mentally before you kind of go along to it. Um, so things like the middle pillar exercise to cleanse the aura, um, making sure that you've not got anything on your mind, you know, go for a nice long walk, but kind of get into that headspace um, and you'll find that that makes a massive difference. I wanted to finish today's episode with a poem by the Spanish mystic Saint John of the Cross, who was born in 1542. Um, And he was a Catholic saint, but he was very kind of famous for his profound writings on spirituality and kind of the mystical path. And this poem is called Song of the Soul. For I know well the spring that flows and runs, although it is night. That eternal spring is hidden, for I know well where it has its rise, although it is night. I do not know its origin, nor has it one, but I know that every origin has come from it, although it is night. I know that nothing else is so beautiful and that the heavens and the earth drink there, although it is night. I know well that it is bottomless, and no one is able to cross it, although it is night. Its clarity is never darkened, and I know that every light has come from it, although it is night. I know that its streams are so brimming, they water the lands of hell, the heavens and the earth, although it is night. I know well the stream that flows from this spring is mighty in compass and power, although it is night. I know the stream proceeding from these two, that neither of them in fact precedes it, although it is night. This eternal spring is hidden in this living bread for our life's sake, 
although it is night. It is here calling out to creatures, and they satisfy their thirst, although in darkness, because it is night. This living spring that I long for, I see in this bread of life, although it is night.